0: Life Audio. Humility is not something that we see often in our culture. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In most cases, we see the opposite of humility, which is pride. So today we're talking about this idea of humility, posturing our hearts before the Lord, and also the example that we see in Jesus as he humbly serves God in a way that changes everything. I pray today's episode is a blessing for you. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, welcome back to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl. Today we are going through Psalm 123 as we continue our psalm series. These are the psalms of ascent that we are reading. They would have been the psalms that the pilgrims would have used on their way to Jerusalem. And the reason why we're going through the psalms is because the psalms were essentially the hymn book and the prayer book of Jesus. And as we'll see in today's psalm, there is a a, a common thread, a common theme to what we read in today's psalm, and this idea of humility that we see ex- as an example uh, in G- in Jesus. And the reason why I'm so adamant about us knowing and studying the psalms is because, as the hymn book and prayer book of Jesus, when we learn the psalms, it helps us understand some of the things that Jesus meditated on and what he he. Would use for his own prayers and his prayer life, as well as the disciples. And for me, it's so valuable to be able to meditate on the same things that at least for some point of his life, Jesus meditated on. I think it gives us a glimpse into what was in his heart. And so we're going to continue in verse one of Psalm 123. And I'm starting uh, in verse one with the new American standard version. To you I have raised my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Be gracious to us, Lord, be gracious to us, for we have had much more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had much more than enough of the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud." You know, as I read through some of these Psalms, one of the things that I recognize is there have been seasons in my life where I did not know what those words meant. And so I would read them, especially if I was doing like the Bible in a year kind of program or something like that. I would read them. I would get through them. I would check off my little box for the day with my devotional, but I wouldn't understand really anything that I had read, what it meant in the original context or what it even meant for my own life. And so my heart as we go through these Psalms is to maybe, tear down some of those barriers, the cultural barriers, or, you know, even just the fact that we are a modern reader, and this was originally written to an ancient reader, there's a difference in our culture, in our lives, in our day to day, in our understanding, in the geography around us. And so part of the reason I I do this is to help supplement your Bible reading, but not to replace it. I want to make sure we make that distinction. And so Psalm 123 is a lament psalm. And we actually haven't had a lament psalm here in a while, but the lament psalms are the psalms that essentially are an example for us where we learn it's okay to complain to God. Now there's a difference between complaining about God and complaining to God. But in Psalm 123, what we see is the psalmist is calling on God for help in the middle of an attack from evil, arrogant people. And so it's kind of striking in this psalm because there's this use of simile that is comparing the psalmist's anticipation of what God's going to do to the servants who are waiting for their master to act. Um, I think it's really important to point that point out. And in verse 1 and 2, we start to recognize this pattern of submission. So Psalm 123 is beginning with the same idiom that is found in Psalm 121, that phrase, if I lift I lift up my eyes. And so that indicates a focus and this awareness or even like a gesture of deep longing. While the earlier Psalm that we talked about, Psalm 121, focuses on the mountains when it's talking about lifting up their high the, their eyes uh this one the psalmist is thinking about god and I think that's common to the human experience. I think a lot of times when we think of where God is, we look up to the sky. You know, we know that because of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is in us. The Holy Spirit is in us. So we don't necessarily have to look up. But I think that's a common expression of humanity looking up, turning our eyes up when we think about God. And so in Psalm 123, as. He, the psalmist is lifting his eyes up to God himself. He's addressing God directly. And so God is described as the one that is on the throne in heaven. And And if we think about this in terms of where we, were, we are at, these Psalms of Ascent, like I said, were done or said or sung or recited by the pilgrims that were headed into Jerusalem for a religious festival. The temple was really seen at that time as the focus of where God's presence was on earth. The Ark of the Covenant was there, and that was thought to be the footstool of God's throne. But the temple itself represented the realities of heaven. And Isaiah in, I believe it's chapter six, Isaiah describes his call to this prophetic ministry that we see him have throughout the scriptures. We see that as the setting of a heavenly court. And so... Verse 2 is presenting this metaphor, this simile that helps describe the nature of what the psalmist is looking at, what he's gazing at. The faithful meaning God's faithful people, the righteous, the believers that we're putting in, in t- today's context, they look to God essentially as God's servants and he is their master. So it is his hand that controls their actions, behaviors, what they, what they do here on earth. And so it's interesting because it then introduces a female perspective and a feminine image of God. Now, that's not incredibly common, um, but sometimes what we learn about is, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form saying that God is feminine or there is a femininity to God, but there are aspects of the feminine character that are modeled after the character and nature of, of God. And so remember, all the way back to Genesis It wasn't until God had created both Adam and Eve that they were complete in their image of God. And so there are aspects of what we see in the personality of women, things like the compassion of God or the way that women are nurturing. Those are reflective of God's character. And so this is one of those times in scripture where we see this feminine image where it's comparing the psalmist's gaze towards God as the kind of gaze that a female slave would have had to her mistress. And so there are a number of reasons why a a female slave would be looking to her mistress. Sometimes it would be giving orders. What do you want me to do? What do you need for me? Sometimes it was provision. Did they need a meal? Is there something that they needed? Or was it punishment? You know, sometimes it would even be punishment. And so that kind of emphasizes this utter dependence that the psalmist has on God. Similar to how that posture of a female slave is dependent on their master, Um, it's this imagery that would have been really well understood in that ancient context differently than how we would understand it today. But we have to think through, and I say this all the time, even though scripture was written for us, it was not originally written to us. It was written to an ancient people group that had a different set of cultural standards than what we have. And so some of these uh, word images or these things that we read, they don't make sense to us unless we think about it in terms of how they those original hearers would have understood it. And so what this whole imagery does is it illustrates for us this power difference between God and his faithful people. If you think about this in terms of um, a slave, a female slave to her mistress, there's a power dynamic there where the mistress will hold the power that controls the behavior of that female slave. In the same way, there's a power difference between God and his people. And so just like there is an element to how the slaves at that time, and you have to remember there's so many, so many Hebrew slaves throughout the Old Testament, but just the way that the slaves would fear their master, there's an attitude that God desires to see a healthy fear. And and you have to remember, we've talked about this fear before. Sometimes that fear, it doesn't necessarily mean trembling kind of fear, it means respect. It means awe. It means an understanding of where I'm at in relation to where God is at and the power and how I am helpless without him. And so the final part of that stanza is this indication that the psalmist is really desiring mercy from God. And, and that goes on to be developed farther in the next part. But I think that's really important for us to point out because This idea of submission is sometimes so hard for us. And we talked about submission a couple different times over the last couple months. But submission and surrender when you are submitting to God is not the same thing as giving up. It's giving over control. There's a difference. You know, I am a very independent person. Woman, um, if you don't believe me, just ask my husband or my children I, I I do not want to give up my independence, but I have learned over the years that submitting my will to god's will is not only is an act of obedience but it is in my best interest because he knows more than I do, and I think the common thread that I see woven throughout my life is okay lord i don 't understand, but I trust you so when things happen in my life where of course, my first instinct in my flesh is to you know fight that. I have learned to say, okay, God, I don't understand, but I trust you. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll go through the second half of the psalm. Stay tuned. Now we're going to go into the second half of the psalm, enduring contempt in verses three and four. So now we are learning the reason why this psalmist is needing mercy. The other faithful followers of Yahweh have suffered because of the powerful people and the arrogant people that are around them and there is a need for god as the master that heavenly divine master to come to their aid as his servants. And so there's no wonder that they look to God as the hand of a master or a mistress because that word hand is often understood in the Old Testament context as power. So essentially what what it's saying is that God will use his power to bring their oppression to an end. What we see throughout this psalm is that the psalmist is adopting this attitude of humility before God, who he's seeing as this divine master. And he's hoping for help in the middle of this persecution that he's experiencing, not just him, but these people. And so he's submitting himself to God in order to be free from the oppressor. And I think that's interesting because I think about the times in my life where I have been attacked either you know, by people or, you know, even just the enemy where I, it has driven me to my knees and I have said, okay, God, I surrender. I give this away to you. I need you to act on my behalf. That's exactly what we're seeing happen here in this part of this Psalm. And so he's submitting himself to God. And I think that's so interesting because one of the most important aspects of the gospel is that Jesus takes on this role of servant on our behalf. You know, think about how he washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. And then Paul goes on to call Christians to adopt this same attitude, this humble posture of surrender and submission and humility. That same attitude of Christ is what Paul calls us, calls us to. Let me actually just read it. In Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so what we see is, in the New Testament, is this posture of Jesus as the servant, and God is the master. And Jesus is humbly being obedient to what God's better plan is. And I think even in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see this same human expression in Jesus where he's saying, okay, God, I'm surrendering myself to you. Um, it was not necessarily what the flesh wanted, but it, he was surrendering his spirit to, to being obedient to what God wanted. I think that is Such an example of the humanity of Jesus that we can recognize and see. So I'm going to reread starting at verse 1 of 123. To you I have raised my eyes, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to their hand of the master, as the eyes of a female servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he is gracious to us. Be gracious to us, Lord, be gracious to us, for we have had much more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had much more than enough of the scoffing of those who are at ease and with the contempt of the proud. Father God, we recognize in this psalm the humility and the posture that even Jesus took as he surrendered to your will, Father God. Lord, I pray that when we are facing similar circumstances, no matter what they are, whether it is in the flesh, whether it is the circumstances of our life, whether it is a spiritual attack, whatever it is, Lord God, I pray that we would humbly, as your servant, become, come before you as we ask for your help, Lord God, that we would recognize that healthy fear, that respect, that awe that we are to have, and that power dynamic that's there. I think sometimes we forget it because our culture is so easy to promote the egos of people, but God, help us to be convicted by that and to recognize that as we humble ourselves before you. Lord God, I pray for my friend today that you would help their heart to be in such a a posture of humility and surrender to you, Lord God, because we know that you are trustworthy. Lord, we thank you for the way that you intervene on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen.